the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We're talking about that Trump verdict and later how to improve your odds for a successful marriage. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm. We are so thrilled that you are with us today. If you've missed any of today's show, we'd love to invite you back to catch up on our podcast. We also want to invite you to engage with us on social media. We are at Common Good Talk. And this week on Facebook, we have a question of the week. Something Brian and I are going to talk about or maybe we'll, uh, we'll read some of your responses But the question is, if you weren't doing blank as a career, what would you be doing? Brian and I talked about it earlier Mm -hmm. in the week. Sportscaster. He'd be a sportscaster. I said I would like to pick soundtracks for movies. So that was pretty fun. So we want to hear from you on our social media at Common Good Talk on Facebook. Okay, Brian. um, Jury, I don't know if you heard this news. The jury Mm -hmm. found Donald Trump liable for sexual abuse and defamation in the Gene Carroll case. Um, former President Donald Trump on Tuesday said he'll appeal it. So I, I think what I wanted to talk about very briefly, and then I actually have a good story to share with us, is I was a little bit, it, it was very Trump, so I wasn't surprised. But, you know, his one of his first tweets was, this is a witch hunt, I'm going to fight it, we can't let, you know, United States be a country where this kind of thing happens, we have to fight this stuff, this is an abyss, etc. And I don't know exactly. Well, I do know exactly what it is. I get frustrated with the whole like martyr syndrome when he is not the victim in this scenario. Yeah, I do feel like he has learned to play the martyr very effectively for his career. And people (laughs) very effectively. And, you know, there there's, you know, he was found guilty of this, not this, defamate, you know, all this stuff. And he's like, oh, I didn't get a chance to really argue it. And when he turned down the chance to testify, uh, no, he's, is this something you can be good at? He's really, really good and skilled he's so at taking skilled the at things it. that have been like, should be bad things and turning them into positive rallying cries around. I mean, I it's think it's, wild. I don't think it's a good thing, but man, is he good at it? He is. So, it's like gaslighting the entire nation. Like a Manhattan federal jury found that he sexually abused her in a luxury department store in the dressing room in the spring of 96. Uh, apparently she's been awarded $5 million for battery and defamation. Now she could not prove that Rape. he raped her, right. but mm-hmm. obviously there was enough sufficient proof of other things that this happened and now trump is saying he'll appeal the verdict etc but most people would want to be like it'd be quiet go away they said he's like i'm getting screwed everybody really and they do and they do and i brian i think that's what i'm trying like help me understand how the man is such a mastermind that he can get away with abusing women and then make himself the victim yeah it's um so you either think this is the worst part of Donald Trump or the best, depending on how you feel about him. Do you remember the most prophetic thing he ever said 
was, I might get these a little bit wrong, sure. but he essentially said before getting elected in 2016, when he was running and he had all that momentum, he said in an interview, I could walk outside here and shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and not lose any votes. <gasps> and all of us were like, that is unbelievable. That would never happen. It was pretty true. It yeah. worked out that way. And we see this with other people about like taking these, especially in politicians where they turn it and it's like, I fundraise off this. I've been wrong. This, that. He's just the best at it. He's so He's good a at master it. at it. Do and you it, think, these are my questions. Do you think people actually buy it or do you think they just don't care? Like they're like, you know what, whatever. He's still the guy I want. Or both yes, and. I wouldn't say it's a it's a not care or but I think there are some people who don't think he can do wrong, but I think most people get it. But they're yeah. like, but I think he would be a good president. He's still the guy. I, I want think in he would be house. better than Biden or DeSantis or whoever else. And so they go, okay. The the thing that frustrates me, I think a lot of us who aren't necessarily fans of former President Trump, is a lot of our friends said to us. Hey, I just have to hold my nose and vote for him because there's not a good alternative. Yeah. Well, now you're going to yeah. have alternatives. Yeah. There's going to be a primary. So it will be interesting to see what a lot of people do. But yeah, he has a way. He, uh, the, the guy, I, for some people, this is a very positive and others it's not. He yeah. just never ceases to amaze me. It, the things he bounces back I from mean. and actually gets more popular because of. It's like, it's just, it's just. Like nobody I've ever seen before. It is like nobody I have ever yeah. seen before either. And he is I, the Teflon Don. I, I mean, sure just, uh... hope. I sure hope we pick a, a better representative for the Republican Party this year. Okay, I want to tell you a good story. This is out of AnabaptistWorld.org, which is not a site that I go to. It's Mennonite News, but Christianity Today highlighted this story. I start my day on Mennonite News. (laughs) This is a great story, though. Listen to this. Inspired by foot washing, Ethiopian turns rebel fighters toward peace. Hmm. A demonstration of humility through foot washing in an Ethiopian peace-building training inspired one man to persuade, listen to this, more than 600 rebel fighters to turn from their violent ways. Wow. Misery Christos Church, the Anabaptist Church in Ethiopia, has been engaged in peace-building efforts in their region. It's a home to a lot of ethnic-based violence and rebels fighting in the government. Um, they've been trying to train people on community dialogue and reconciliation as well as humility. In one of these trainings, the director of peacebuilding demonstrated humility's importance in peacebuilding uh, by ethnic violence by inviting two volunteers, listen to this, a Muslim and a Christian, and said that he was going to wash their feet. So essentially he did that. And what's so interesting is that... Um, that somehow convinced 600 rebel fires to lay down their weapons and begin discussing their issues. And there's not really, doesn't really say why. It just says that because he dedicated himself, this church leader, to peace building, they've seen a lot of change in this area when it comes to their violence. And I, I just thought that was an interesting story. Like the by fact foot that washing. These, by foot washing. A group of rebel fighters saw a Muslim and a Christian's feet be washed, and somehow that led to conversation and movements toward peace. Now, do we know if it's going to change everything? Certainly not, but it's interesting that like an act of Jesus and an act of humility led to that. I I do think that's it. Like, uh, an act of following Jesus's example, uh, literally the example of foot washing, but also the example like Philippians 2 of humility, 
uh, could turn people who were trying to kill each other uh, into uh, at least a time of peace. So you hope this lasts. Yeah, you. The the ways of Jesus are revolutionary in the present day. Yeah. Right. And yeah. a lot of times we forget that. Like Jesus said, no, uh, wash one another's feet, love your neighbor. All of these are. Uh, they would change actual events today yeah. if people if people took them if up. People took them seriously. So this is what's interesting. So when this church leader asked for volunteers, one Muslim, one Christian, one of the volunteers was a guy named Durgu Balena. He's from an ethnic group that initiated a lot of armed conflict against the government, killed people from other local ethnic groups. After the training, this guy, this volunteer went to the district government. He asked for a gun with bullets. They asked why he wanted to get a gun. He said, I am cleansed from my past wrong thoughts. I'm ready to be an ambassador of peace in my community, Mm. but he wanted to be armed. Okay. So he joins the rebel group. He stays with them for months. He shares the rebel uh, cell with leaders, fighters, etc. While he's with them, uh, part of this cell group, he shares the lessons he learned from that peace building training where his feet were washed. And he convinced them to stop killing people, present their issues to the government in a peaceful manner. Then he brought back more than 600 rebel fighters peacefully Rebel leaders and fighters sat down with government officials and discussed their issues. That's how the story sort of unfolded. Yeah. But I think that's interesting just to think about how one, like you said, one act of Jesus's had this ripple effect. Yeah. And let's see what comes from it. It's a good word for all of us, especially when we're talking about leaders in our nation. How can we look a little bit more like Jesus? That's right. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about rules for doing theology, art and work. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Brian, um, Beth Felker-Jones, mm-hmm. has she been on the show before? I don't believe so. I don't so. believe she has I either. So. She's a professor over at Northern Seminary, author of several books. Great follow on Instagram, by the way. I follow her um, blog, which is called Church Blogmatics. And she posted some rules for students who are doing theology, art, or just work in general. So basically, it's a word for all of us. like, And not rules like, don't do this, don't do that, but like rules for life, okay. guidance, okay. Uh, advice. And she uh, quotes from Sister Carita Kent's Rules for Artists as part of this conversation. This was apparently from Ma- Immaculate Heart College, their art department rules. Okay, here's rule number one. Find a place you trust and then try trusting it for a while. (laughs) It's interesting when you think about church, right? It it really does fit. I like that. Find a place that you trust and then trust it. And then try trusting it. It it makes sense, right? You you take the church like we were just talking about. We say we love the church. We trust it. But it's the actual, like, I'm going to invest in this community. I'm going to be a part of this that it probably becomes difficult. Yeah. Okay. Here's rule number two. General duties of a student. Pull everything out of your teacher. Pull everything out of your fellow students. Okay. So that's kind of an interesting posture. Like you think that would be a rule for a student. Hey, pull everything out of your students. But they're saying like basically get everything you can from each other and from your teacher while Mm -hmm. you're here. Rule number three, general duties of a teacher. Here it is. Pull everything out of your students. Yeah. All right. Tell me what you think about rule number four. Consider everything an experiment. Um... Yeah, that sounds like one that sounds better it than sounds it is. It sounds awesome, but because in real life, how it, is that it? That allows yeah. me to fail. That allows me to try new things. But 
I don't know. Do I really want to tell my wife that I view our marriage as an experiment? Probably not. Yeah, or that I look not. at our children as an experiment? Or, or do I want to go to my elder board and go, you know what? I, how I view this church that you all it's have entrusted me to leading? Experiment. This is a great experiment. A Let's just experiment try something. I get the posture behind yeah, it, yeah. but how that word experiment makes me uncomfortable. All right. Rule number five, be self-disciplined. This means finding someone wise or smart and choosing to follow them. To be disciplined is to follow in a good way. To be self-disciplined is to follow in a better way. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, All that's right. Good. Rule number six, nothing is a mistake. There's no win and no fail. There's only make. I mean, there's some things that are a mistake, there's some right? Things that are a mistake. See, yeah. anytime they, they say stuff definitively, <laughs> I think that's where I prob- like, I think ah. we probably worry about being right or wrong or mistake uh, probably too, too much. much. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow, I'm going to play to you Denzel Washington's graduation <laughs> commencement speech from years ago where he talked about failing forward. Yeah, that's good. Like, there's something to that. But to say nothing's a mistake, yeah. I don't know. There's probably some things that I could do where I, at the end I'd go, that was a big mistake right there. Yeah. Okay. Here's another one. Rule number seven. The only rule is work. If you work, it will lead to something. It's the people who do all the work all the time who eventually catch on to things. Sure. Sure. Okay. Okay. All right. Rule number eight. Don't try to create and analyze at the same time. They're different processes. I think that's really true as a writer. Like you have to just write, 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 write. Then you go back and you edit, 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 analyze, analyze, make better, make better. To try to do it at the same time is almost impossible. You will not move forward. Yeah. I think that's probably the same for sermon writing mm-hmm. and some other things that's probably they're different processes yeah. so get it all out there and, and then, then edit. go back yeah. all right rule number nine be happy whenever you can manage it enjoy yourself it's lighter than you think i think that one's probably true we take word. things yeah way too um like seriously totally. and like everything's the end of the world and and i just am you know par- i'm just by trying to think things over all the time i kind of become paralyzed so so. true it's so true like laugh at yourself a little bit enjoy yourself a little bit all right rule number 10 we're breaking all the rules even our own rules and how do we do that by leaving plenty of room for x quantities that's a quote from someone named john cage john cage cool name yeah super Uh, cool name we're breaking all the rules even our own rules how do we do that i don't know what that means i don't really know what that means either (laughs) but it was like here's the rules now let's break them i do think there's something to be said about these strict rules for life you know yeah here's something this is how this ends this is kind of funny helpful hints always be around come or go to everything Always go to classes, read anything you can get your hands on, look at movies carefully, often, save everything. It might come in handy later. And there should be new rules next That's week. That's fun. funny. Thinking of these, because these are written to students. So yeah. thinking of these in terms of students, uh, I do love that one that says, come or go to everything. Yeah. Talk to me about that. A lot of times, let's take college, mm-hmm. for instance. You think college is just about the classes, mm-hmm. but there's so much more going on at college. It might be a special speaker that they've brought in. It might be this group. Yeah. It might be a chance to meet with this professor. Yeah. It might be whatever else. So I'm not even talking about the fun thing. I'm right. talking about the academic right. things. How much learning happens outside of the classroom? Totally. And so this 
You know what? You could you can the amount of time that we as guys, especially in college, spent just playing video games, goofing around. Like, yeah, I do wish I'd taken advantage of some oh, more totally. things while I was in college yeah. and just be, put myself around brilliant people, yeah. doing things that I never did. Uh, eat, which is like my daughter, who's a freshman in college. She is better than almost anybody I know at this. She just puts herself in places. Oh, so impressive. She even joined the sailing club this year. Why? Oh, what? Just Are wanted you to learn to how to sail. Never said yeah. Uh, not as a from, she wow. has never sailed a day in her life. But like, oh, I'll go learn. Other okay, uh, special cool. speakers coming to town. She's like, I'm going to go listen to that. And you're like, that wow. makes you a smarter, more well-rounded, better person. Yeah, it does. Um, versus those of us who are like, nope, I'm just going to class. And then and I'm, I'm go going to the dining hall for hours, yeah. and then I'm going to play video games. What like, do you oh. think? Is that a self-confidence thing? Is that an extrovert thing? Is that a curiosity thing? Curiosity. Like, what like, gives her that? Because I do feel like that's interesting. Like, put yourself in places. For her, at least. And I think for most people, it's, a, am I a curious person? Yeah. Do I look at the world and go, man, I want to learn more even about... I knew somebody in college who... Uh, they regularly took classes. I think it was at Wheaton. Um they didn't. They, they were taking classes not in their major. They Come were on. deciding on these classes, even if they like pass failed them. They were deciding on classes by like, I want to have that professor at least once while I'm here. See, brilliant. And like, they might be in economics, and you and I have no desire. We're not going to be economics majors, but you're going. That person is so brilliant. I'm going to be a better person for sitting under them. That philosophy prof. That whatever. Obviously, you got to get in your major classes, and you got to get in yeah. all the stuff. But this idea that there are, especially in college, you're surrounded by brilliant people in their field. To be around a brilliant person in their field, even if it's not your field, is still going to rub off on it you. Absolutely, yes. will. You'll, I, I, I keep thinking about. I think it was John Christicism, Saint John of the Cross. One of those guys talked about as a as a preacher, you should be a deep well, hmm. and. Um, and so that's sometimes that strikes me like, am I a deep well right now? Have I learned from people I need to learn from? Am I soaking in beauty and wonder and inspiration and knowledge and, and heart and service and just things that do like make you a deep well so that you have something to actually pour out to other people? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of the same concept, like going and meeting with those professors, those experts in their field, even if it's not your field, does somehow deepen that well. For sure. Of, within you yep yep it, really interesting i like the one also just about like having fun being light have i feel like good that's, a good, that's a good rule for all of us all right coming up next it's that time of year we like to share graduation speeches and talk about them we're gonna share a very famous one when we return you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life it is mid-May, and we begin to look at all of the news of high school graduations and college graduations, and so many of friends and you out there, you're celebrating people in your life that are graduating, so we like to go online and find some of the life-changing graduation speeches, some mm-hmm. new, some old, some classic, some just funny and we like to share them with you and talk about them. I, we've got one of the most sort of like iconic graduation speeches we're going to share part of it for you here in just a minute. But before we do, I have to share a funny one that I sent to Brian and our (laughs) uh, producer, Laura Finch, this week. We all know Brian is a huge fan of sports, but he's also a massive fan of a little movie trilogy known as High School Musical. It is true, and that is not even being sarcastic. I'm I'm not even making fun of him. Like, this is actually true. Well, Saturday Night Live a few years ago had the star of High School Musical, Zac Efron, on 
and they had him come back and give a graduation speech at their version of the high school musical. And it's so funny, Brian. I almost wish I had the audio to play for our people, but basically he's like, no one sings outside of this high school. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, and if you're laying at night singing in your bed about how lonely you are, People will hear you. And he's and they're like, but what about basketball, Troy? Don't you love basketball? He's like, I'm not sure how to explain this, but somehow we're part of the only league that is a musical basketball <laughs> league. Anyway, it's worth looking That's up on funny. Saturday Night Live. It's very, very funny. But we're going to show you one of the most class air for you. One of the most classic speeches. This is by Admiral McRaven, it's known as Make Your Bed. Mm -hmm. Let's take a listen to part of that. If you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. (laughs) If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task, and another, and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that is made. That you made. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. All right, so this is wild. Basically, he starts his speech saying, you want to change the world? Make your bed. Yep. And he gets a laugh, but then he actually goes on and he starts talking about how the little habits that we build, like making our beds, develop into big, bigger habits. And we're able to take responsibility for that. We take responsibility for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And then he goes on to sort of make a joke like, and look, if you have a terrible day, you go home and your bed's made yep. by you. And that feels good. And really, it's a it's a speech about little everyday disciplines and how that ultimately changes your life. He talks about getting up at 5 a.m. and making your bed. I'm not necessarily going to do that, but let's talk about small picture. Just Can I just he's... say, by the way, he, he parlayed this into a book called Make Your Bed. I did not know that. That is a New York Times bestseller. bestseller of so. course it is. Okay, so there's, there's a deeper conversation to have that we'll go into, but first, do you make your bed every day? Um, or does Carrie... I think our bed gets made every day. Okay. I kind of like pull up my side when I'm getting ready, mm-hmm. and then she'll mm-hmm. tend to. So yeah, yeah. Do my kids all make their bed? Uh, mine definitely don't. That is that is less frequent. Yeah, mine definitely do not make their bed every day. I don't make my bed every day. I like a clean bed. I. I sort of want my bed made every day, but I don't always do it. Mine's less about a clean bed as I don't think there are many things worse in the world when you don't. And now we're getting into warm season, so it's not so bad. But yeah. then when you like don't make your bed and then you get in and it's freezing. Ooh, that's so true. I don't I've like never that. really aligned that before. I don't like that. The worst, too, about not making your bed is like the sheets get all bunchy. And so then you're in bed and you're trying to get kind of comfortable yep, and you yep. can't. Yep. Okay, so, uh, but what's behind this? The motivation to make your bed. Like, why does this become a best-selling New York Times book? Because it's obviously about more because than Because I, I think people get into, uh, so that you got this admiral, right? And he's speaking to a college, and they think that you're going to give, like, this deep 
just profound words as into like how you can change the world. And he literally says, make your bed. And the reason I think he does and where it does become profound is control what you can control. Do the little things, right? Mm. And he's a military guy. What military is famous for the guys have to make their bed perfectly yeah. every day. And there is a thought process behind this that says, be really faithful in the little things. Do the things you can control. Little things build upon little things become big things. Yeah. And so I think he would say somebody who doesn't make their bed, it probably says something less about their cleanliness and more right. about their character. More about their character, their responsibility, their that kind of thing. Here, here are uh, like 10 lessons from this Make Your Bed book. Start your day with a completed task. Mm -hmm. So that would be making your bed. Don't go it alone. This is from his Navy SEAL training. Like he's really big about doing things as a team. Grit and determination trump talent. Mm. I feel like that ought to be true and probably is true. But culturally, we reward talent perhaps more than grit and determination. There has to be. A certain level of talent. Yeah. And yeah. it also depends on what you're talking about. Like, I guess that's a good point. Like, you could have the grittiest, you know, guy thinking that he should be in the NBA, but eventually you, <laughs> you got to be able to, be able to play shot. basketball. Yeah, right. And, so, and super talented NBA players have a lot of grit and determination. The, and so yeah. none of that to diminish what he said about grit and determination. Yes. Like, that. that is an important thing. Yeah. All right. Here's the fourth one. Life is not fair. Get over it. <laughs> Only a Navy SEAL can say that, right? Yes. I don't think pastors can necessarily say that, but certain people can say that. And we need to hear that in our lives sometimes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Because when you, uh, when everything's about fairness, then you're just going to be belly aching about the things that weren't fair right, in life. Right. And he's like, literally nothing is. Yep. So don't even, that's not even a thing. Okay. Next. Don't feel, don't fear failure. Embrace it. I. Again, a difficult one. Yep. Uh, I, I told you we're going to play the one tomorrow from Denzel Washington about failing forward. Yeah. Uh, so don't fail. Don't fear failure because if you fear failure, you're never going to do anything. Yeah. And that's yeah. where that becomes and you, difficult. And failure is how we learn and yeah. how we grow. Yeah. All right. Next, take calculated risks. I appreciate that because sometimes you could hear "Don't feel fear failure, embrace it," and that makes you think, "Okay, I'm just going to go wild and do whatever." But like. Balance that with take risks that are calculated. They're thoughtful. You're not trying to hurt yourself or other people, but you are going to take steps of faith and adventure and that kind of thing. That's right. He also says stand up to bullies. Mm. I appreciate that. Rise to the occasion when life gets hard. So yeah. that is the wisdom. And I love that he goes back to yeah, the make your bed, the actual speech with the actual making of your bed. Because we joke about it, right? It is, um, It is like control what you can control do that but i love the picture he gives at the end of and this is why i think it resonated with people because in the end even if things go badly that day you still come home to a made bed mm, yeah yeah and There's you can make that so much that. bigger right yeah. make your bed I, it just sticks on your mind but how about this love your family well like have a great family. Love your kids. Love you. Because then even if your day goes bad, you come home to a family that loves you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the, yeah. you can, it all goes back to the same point. Control what you can control um, and do it well and yep. do it consistently. Yep. I love it. All right. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about odds for improving your marriage. How to improve your odds for a successful lifelong marriage when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Friday, May 12th, Judson University is celebrating their annual prayer breakfast. The breakfast will be held on Judson's campus from 7.30 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. You can join local business leaders and members of the community to hear from motivational speaker Sichi Dimirkova. For a chance to win a pair of tickets, visit 1160hope.com, keyword prayer. All right, Brian, uh, we are not married to each other, as we like to often remind people, but we've both been married for many years. You and Carrie are... 23. 23. Kevin and I are 22. Is that, are, are you sure you're not 24 and I'm 23? No, I was born in the year 2000. This okay. is 2023. Oh, that's right. You yes. do it. Yes. Not born. Okay. Married. Okay. Married in the year 2000. I think I've been telling people I've been married for 23 years, but it's actually 22. It was 22 in January. Okay. So we've talked before. What are some of the um, ways, habits, postures, et cetera, for making a marriage successful Christianity Today is talking about when you're dating seriously, how do you improve your odds for a successful marriage? So we usually come at it from, hey, we've been married for a while. Let's give you some advice. This is a little bit different. What if you've been dating a long time? How do you improve those odds for a successful marriage? Scott Stanley, again, over at CT says, don't slide into a lifelong commitment. Decide on it. Mm. So before we unpack the article, give me your thoughts on that statement alone. Yeah, especially those of us who got married kind of young. Uh, you and I both re- married our respective spouses at the age of like 22. Yep. It could just feel like the next thing you're supposed to do. Yes. Right? Like, oh, well, we're dating. Now we're dating. Oh, yeah. now we're engaged. Or we're supposed to be getting engaged. Now we're engaged. And you could be like, not everybody should be getting married with that kind of quickness. Totally. And so, or just without thinking like, am I ready for this? Am I ready for that? That's why you need good premarital counseling, all of these types of things. So that's what I picture when it says, don't just slide into it. Like, well, we're getting married because that's what we're supposed to we're do supposed next. To do and all that. of a sudden you're like, well, maybe not, maybe not. Yeah. And, and I, I do think it's like the point about deciding is marriage really is the decision every single day. I'm going to stay married to this person and I'm going to love them well and that kind of thing. So this is interesting. A recent report from the Institute for Family Studies surveyed people who married for the first time in the years 2010 to 2019. So essentially the previous decade. And uh, this author says, my colleague Galena Rhodes and I found conclusions similar to those of past studies. Patterns of cohabitation before marriage remain associated with higher odds of divorce. We've talked about this on the show before. What people often miss is the inertia that comes in with moving in together. Mm. In essence, cohabitating couples, I'm reading this from Christianity Today, cohabitating couples are making it harder to break up before nailing down their commitments. Many of them get stuck in a relationship they might otherwise have moved on from. Consistent with our theory of inertia, we find that couples who moved in together before engagement were 48 percent more likely to end their marriages than those who cohabitated only after getting wed or at least engaged. We also show that moving in together for, quote, relationship testing or financial convenience is associated with higher risks of divorce. Mm. I think that's so interesting. Here's a question as a pastor. Should we be talking about this more cohabitation? We should because it's become just normal, right? Like, Again, I, we've been married for a while now, but when Carrie and I got married 23 years ago, it was still somewhat scandalous to live together. Totally. And uh, now it is, 
it's the outlier it feels like. Mm-hmm. It is the outlier even when Christians don't live together. Uh, or at least it's happening more and more and more. And uh, there's there's biblical reasons as to why that's a bad idea. But then there's some of these statistical reasons. Like you think you're trying it out, quote unquote, or you're, uh, you know, working out some of the kinks. But the Bible makes it pretty clear or these statistics make it pretty clear. You're actually raising your divorce rate. Yeah. And I yeah. just think we could be honest about that and yeah. speak of it, not just biblically, but also practically. It's really interesting. This article again at CT is saying in defiance of cultural trends, couples should consider the traditional path engagement first, then marriage, then moving in together. Those steps help ensure clarity about the commitment you're making as you move forward into a shared life. They also give you a clearer decision line that separates your life before marriage and after it. So essentially they're saying like, if you want to increase your odds of, of a successful marriage, Don't believe the hype that living together is good for your relationship. It's not actually true. The other thing they talk about is interesting, slowing down when you're dating, but not too much. So they say there are benefits to going slowly as a relationship develops, but super slow? No. Some couples wait years and years to get married long after they know what they want the future to look like. This approach can bring its own problems. Mm -hmm. For example, entering marriage without the joy and energy of a shared commitment. So what are your thoughts about that? So don't rush, but also like don't be engaged forever. Yes, there's that. There's that. That finally would there come a point for you where if Kevin hadn't proposed you would have been like uh either you you would have said either proposed or we're done we kevin and i actually talk about this in kind of a different way here's what yes that yes absolutely if kevin didn't propose or we weren't talking marriage i would have been like i'm out yeah but you know what we also talk about if we weren't married we definitely would have broken up like we got married really quickly <laughs> we got married after seven months of dating we got engaged four months later we were married so we had known each other essentially a year when we and got you married. guys were not friends before we that. were not friends before we had no foundation of friendship we are not we did not do it the way we would tell so couples to do it i don't think i realized it was that tight so if you, you go to your wedding day yes if January you 6th. went back, so you were January 6th of 2021. Yes. If you had gone back in time to January 6th of 2020. Yes. You didn't know each other? We just met. We met literally the day before Christmas break at Wheaton College. So mid-December. Met, even though we you were in the same class. Met. Cut. We did not talk. And then we came back to school that January and began to talk and flirt and then eventually date. So literally January to January. Fast. I would not recommend that to people. <laughs> I would not. However, and why do you say you would have broken up? Because we, were, again, this is some of the stuff we, I actually think this was God's provision that we were married and I'm so grateful for it. Cause I do think Kevin and I were supposed to choose to commit to one another. Like God had us for one another. And, uh, but we definitely would have broken up because we are so violently different. I don't even know how to explain. <laughs> That's a strong different. word. Violently is a strong word. We are opposites. Passionately like, different. Passionately different. When Kevin and I got premarital counseling, we did the tests that a lot of people yep. do. On paper, we are so different. And us figuring that out, our first year of marriage, made for a very difficult first year of marriage. And yet we both say we're so grateful that we are married because our commitment to Jesus and to each other kept us and we are stronger because of it. And we're best friends. Like, but we had to work at that. It, it's all, Brian, almost not exactly the same because there was attraction and there was dating. 
but almost like an arranged marriage. Like we were just like, well, we're in it now. I guess we're going to make this work. Do you know what I mean? And it really has proven like we have love for each other. That's interesting. Yeah. Did yeah. you? I know you almost broke up over whether you're going to live in Africa or not. Yeah. But did you, in your dating, ever almost break up and no. go, "Wow, we're so different"? No, no, no. We the, the, we didn't even think about the differences until we were married. <laughs> 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 so anyway, don't do what we do or do do what we did. I hey, don't you're know. Still married, out 22 for us. Years we're still married. We're still married. Happily married. All right. Well, we're so glad that you've been with us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from four to six p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.